Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we hit on another episode of a newer thing we've been doing, uh, where we explore a true crime case and a film that was made about it. And today, we are talking about Eileen Warnos and the movie that was the very popular movie that was made about it called Monster, starring Charlize Theron. But Todd will have those details later for us. Let's talk about Eileen Warnos. Um, just off the top of your head, you're, you're just whatever you have done to, to, to acknowledge Eileen Warnos in your life when you first heard about her, anything like that. Um, Professor? Um, I, I think that her case that we'll get into is uh, certainly not for the family members and friends of the victims, but pretty forgettable, pretty, pretty average in a lot of ways. But I think uh, what cemented her kind of in uh, the, the, the public awareness is a, she was female and B her personality and all of the interviews and access that you have to her, um, you know, once she was incarcerated, uh, which at times can be, quite entertaining. And so I think those things and then the, the big film about her, it kind of pushed a case that I think we've had hundreds of in varying forms uh, up to the front and, it's, yeah. and made people much more aware. And to add to that journalism, I think just the, the way that journalists covered this with her being female, um, sure. Pushed this a lot. And we'll talk about that. Yep. I first became aware of Eileen Wernos from the uh, monster movie. I hadn't heard of it before that. I watched the movie. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. I was intrigued by the movie. So then I started to dig into it a little more and do a little more research. And then when I started seeing old interviews with her, I could not stop watching interviews with her in them. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was like watching Charles Manson interviews. So they're all over the place and just that that personality it makes is what I think makes this case interesting because like we said, the kills weren't particularly gruesome. It wasn't particularly impressive. Uh, and again, should we do our disclaimer? Yes. Hit we it. do not mean to glorify these people and their acts in any way whatsoever. We don't look up to these people. We're not people who enjoy serial killer trading cards and things like that. We don't wear t-shirts with serial killers yes, on them or have I, of them. My interest, as is everybody's, is solely from a like a psychology, sociology point of view. So 
we very much understand the gravity of the situation of what happened, and we understand that these these are real victims and there are real families affected by this. So I don't want at any point when I say interesting or things like that for people to get the wrong idea. But I the crimes were not particularly interesting in their method or anything of that nature. So I think almost everything, like the professor said, comes from the personality that is Eileen Wernos. Yeah, is where the interest comes from. And to add to what you're saying with the the murders, which we'll go more into, but they they were not – she wasn't getting her hands dirty. They weren't personal. They weren't motivated by any kind of sexual reasoning. It was more yeah. out of necessity in her mind necessarily. Yes. So, so there's the fear factor drops way down when trying to understand the mind of, of someone truly yeah. insane. So I think that's yeah. kind of what we're landing on there. Yeah. Oh, Toddy. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I had, was familiar with her either until monster came out. Um, when monster hit theaters, the uh, documentary, um, Eileen life, uh, life and death of a serial killer came out, uh, same year. Um, so, um, can't remember which one I watched first, but it's, uh, definitely, uh, anytime I watch a movie on a true story, I kind of like to delve deeper because obviously it's Hollywood and things get changed. Um, and I think with, um, Eileen's case of, um, I think the movie did, uh, uh, justice to her story because I don't think each victim was how they were killed exactly, but they blended because I kind of think the first one was an attack. Um, I think the second one was probably some PTSD um, because she's already had a shitty life anyways. I mean, which we can go more into that. But uh, watching the documentary, uh, after watching the movie, you watch the things that are true. And then, you know, from the movie and then you watch the documentary and she's debunking everything she has already claimed. But she also is wanting to be executed when the, when they were filming the, the movie. She was tired at that point, and um, not only that, but the fact that uh, how many uh, deaths she had six death sentences, where Ted Bundy like had the option of life in prison. So I think there's already uh, between maybe the class that she was in and that she's a woman. Uh, there's already a a difference. I feel like uh, if she was a man, she probably would have had a larger body count by. Uh, I bet the they time would, she was would not have let her uh, act as her own attorney. <laughs> or or hire hire the guy off TV. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think I was introduced to both at the same time period. So I think maybe Monster was playing in theaters. The other probably came on video. Yeah. Um, I think they're definitely great uh, companion pieces because you get the uh, you get the Hollywood movie and then you get the uh, you get to see her in real life. And there's plenty of uh, interviews and stuff with her as well, like Vinny said. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I really had encountered her until monster came out yeah. and um actually truth be told this was my first time viewing it for the show oh, wow um so Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what i did with my life before i had seen monster you don't you don't like oscar winning movies or anything yeah i don't let the academy tell me what's good um so <laughs> the thing well, is i've seen your collection i can tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah boy uh, who let this guy on the show? <laughs> um, I wore my way in. It's <laughs> a little bit of a Chris Farley decaf face that came over him there. I think he's taken over. Um, so, yeah, 
Uh, and I'm sure that she's in all of the serial killer encyclopedias I had before the movie Monster came out. And um, it's just interesting because, you know, she's touted as America's first female serial killer. Which, which is not, nonsense. Not true. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, my, my first experience was when the movie Monster came out and I became aware of her presence and, and uh, you know, some of those odds and ends documentaries. Cool. Uh, so do we want to do an acapella version of Come On Eileen, or do we want to jump into her story? Okay. That's a fun fact. That song was written about her. <laughs> too, many, too many double entendres with that. Let's just roll it. Yeah. All right. Uh, she was born Eileen Carol Pittman in Troy, Michigan, on February 29th, 1956, to teenage parents. Uh, her older brother, Keith, was born uh, just the year before that. After less than two years of marriage and two months before she was born, Diane, her mother, had filed for divorce. Uh, Eileen never met her father as he was incarcerated at the time of her birth, so setting uh, things off on the right foot for from jump. Uh, his name was Leo, and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which we could say maybe plays mm, a part sure. um, in her DNA. Uh, he was later convicted of sex crimes against children and eventually committed suicide by hanging in prison on January 3rd, Kidnapped 1969. and raped a child under the age of 10. Yeah, so uh, not... Not somebody we like. Yeah. Nope. Um, in January of 1960, when Ronos was almost four years old, Diane abandoned her, uh, as well as her brother, leaving them with their maternal grandparents, uh, Lori and Britta Wernos, who legally adopted Keith and Eileen on March 18, 1960. By the age of 11, Eileen began engaging in sexual activities in school in exchange for cigarettes, drugs, and food. So we're off on a uh, strong start. Age 11. And yeah. it earned her the nickname Cigarette Pig. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and they touch on that in the film a little bit. Like, you just get a glimpse there. You kind of get, at the beginning, you mm -hmm. get this, this glimpse of the awful home life that she had because her grandparents weren't giving her any better life than her shitty mom was. No, the yeah. grandmother was an alcoholic, I believe. Yeah. So and the it, grandfather was basically just an asshole. Yeah. So, it's just like she went from an awful upbringing to a bad one, you know? Mm -hmm. So, it's like she... Wasn't getting any of that, and so she starts doing these sexual acts in exchange for cigarettes uh, at the age of eleven, and earns the nickname "Cigarette Pig." Yeah, and so you, yeah, you got this kind of unfortunate example shown in every direction for her, and you clearly uh, she's not being taken care of with things she needs, and so she quickly develops uh, this idea of of fending for herself. Survival skill, yeah, um, survival skill. <laughs> uh, I, it's a weird one to start. She had also engaged in sexual activities with her brother. Yeah. Um, she also said that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted her and beaten her when she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. Um, by 1970, at age 14, she became pregnant, having been raped by an accomplice of her grandfather. Wernos gave birth to a boy at a home for unwed mothers on March 23, 1971, and the child was placed up for adoption. Uh, normally, that's a sad story. I think in this case, maybe a happy one. Um, Probably worked out better for yeah. you. Yeah. A few months after her son was born, she dropped out of school at about the same time that her grandmother died of liver failure. Uh, when Wernos was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house, and she began, support, began supporting herself as a prostitute uh, and living in the woods near her old home. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say, maybe you guys would disagree, that this is a shitty childhood. Well, and they, they, so I didn't, yeah, I mean, just, was it Troy, Ohio that she, where, where did she grow up at? Uh, 
I don't know. I mean, she ended up in Florida. I don't know if she yeah. started in. Well, Ohio and I'm, I'm assuming though it's it's an area like here. So she was outside for a couple years in the winter. Oh in yeah, the woods. Yeah. yeah. She she had lived in a car, slept in a car for a bit too. But yeah, out in the woods in like a fort, like a kid's fort. She would stay out there, yeah. and then got tired of the winters and started hitching and went south. Yeah. And, um, and while none of this at all excuses her actions later in life, you kind of are like, man, I see how you may have been put down a path that didn't end so well. Like, she's one of the, like, most of the guys you read about, like Dahmer and Bundy, had pretty normal lives for the most part. Not awful. Uh, not like this. You don't, you don't often look at the upbringing and go, well, that makes sense. But right. hers kind of like and, and even if not those other ones in a way. you describe are broken homes or unfortunate situations there is at least adults attempting to sell the idea yes. that they give a shit yes, yes. Uh, in her case there was nothing ever yeah i mean just from jump people not, were just shoving her away not an adult that cared about her um uh todd you were close troy michigan okay which still gonna be so free, probably even colder than uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right you're exactly right um, all right. Her criminal career began in 1974 uh, with a DUI, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving car. Uh, so starting off with a bang, literally. Uh, over the next 15 years, she would be riddled with crime as she extended out a litany of offenses uh, ranging from assault, armed robbery, car theft, uh, prostitution. <clears throat> During that time, she would also lose her brother Keith to esophageal cancer at the age of 21. I, I think it was his age. Pretty young. Um, I know that on last podcast on the left, they went into detail about her being removed from his hospital room, uh, where she showed up completely wasted, spilling whiskey all over him and smoking in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, everything really starts to elevate, though, when we, we fast forward up to the 80s and at a Daytona gay bar. She meets Tyria Moore, or goes by Ty. Um, <clears throat> they moved in together, and Eileen supported them with earnings as a prostitute. Uh, and one, one thing I want to say before that, okay. prior to this, uh, as she's in prison, she was putting ads in biker magazines so that she could meet these men when she got out of prison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do we wow. want to mention the one guy that she had a history with? Uh, you talking about a famous band? Yeah. Yes. Ted they, Cruz? No, have you guys heard about uh, no. her rendezvous with the uh, lonesome Dave from Fog Hat? No. Uh, he let's talk about up. humiliation. Yeah, let's. Uh, <laughs> she says that lonesome Dave from Fog Hat picked her up, and it seems like the timelines and everything checks out. Mm-hmm. And this is back when she would have been younger and better looking. Too. Yes, right. And so that's the thing. She she bedded a lot of men, um, not even out of prostitution earlier in life. Yeah. Like she she. Had a, she even had like a sugar daddy kind of guy at one point? Mm-hmm. And so she married a, married that guy. He was oh, like that's sixty nine. That's right. Yeah, yeah and yeah, he, yeah. He, he, uh, he had a null after he said several that days. She was beating him with, with his cane. cane. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that I mean, she did have this this crazy life of things going on, but she also just tried to have personal relationships with some people too. It wasn't like her life was devoid of that up until uh, this rendezvous we're about to talk about. Um, but yeah, so Lonesome Dave from Foghat picks her up one night. And uh, her favorite part to talk about in the story is that uh, his genitalia was very, very small. <laughs> and uh, how sad do you have to be to have Eileen Warnos talking about... <laughs> and the different interpretations of uh, Slow Ride, and I just want to make love to you now. <laughs> yeah, poor guy was just crying for help. I just want to make love to you. <laughs> and, Touch uh, my balloon knot. 
<laughs> so I thought that was a, an interesting thing to interject the, 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 the fog hat story, but also too, that she was putting ads in biker yeah. magazines while in prison. She was planting seeds for partying as soon as she got out and being uh, taken care yeah. of. Um, but things really escalated uh, once she met Ty. They moved in together, and she was sur- she was taking care of both of them with earnings as a prostitute, um, but growing more and more desperate because, and I'm no expert on this. I haven't read any books on it, but what I take from this is that this was the first person who ever cared about her or at least it felt that way, and it was mutual. They both had this relationship uh, that Eileen became kind of codependent on and was petrified of losing her, and so you raise the stakes. And I I don't know if the, the crimes that she's known for that we're about to get into was because of just making it easier to get everything that she wanted or if it was truly about what she says it is. Mm-hmm. Um, only the, the people that she killed and her there was will always, truly know that. There was yeah. also a bit of a uh, little more desperation because at this point, the life she <clears throat> has lived is starting to take its toll physically. Mm-hmm. Her looks are fading. And she's point. not that old, honestly. Yep. No. But it's been a hard life, and it's starting to catch up with her now. Yeah. And this... For all accounts and purposes, this is the first woman she's ever been romantically involved with. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's an interesting piece about how this is probably one of the first people on earth to ever show her genuine affection. Mm -hmm. And so that really had to motivate some of her actions, I would guess. Right. And fuel fuel the frantic desperation. Yeah. Um, And some of it is necessity, too. What's a way is if... If you don't get caught for a murder, they don't. There's nobody to tell who's just stole their car, and who just stole all of their money. Yeah. And so she starts upping the ante for what she's getting to help them survive because they're living out of a hotel room, um, and she's just trying to keep it together. And I think that kind of slingshotting the past is what makes all this swirl into a big shitstorm here at the end. Oh yeah. Um, anything else before we go into that? I was going to say, uh, and, and like the one documentary, they actually have uh, like old classmates and stuff where they have to come testify. Oh, yeah, that's rough um, to watch. Because, again, in the documentary, she, is, she does not want win- witnesses to come testify for her. She, she, at that point, wanted execution. She wants fast track to death. But, um, you know, these people are talking about walking into cabins, and her and her brother are going at it, and then they're waiting in line, and how kids treated her at school, and uh, how they would do all these things to her, and... The, the one guy talking about how he basically he was banging her, but and then in public he would tell her to get away from him, and they said why? And this is a grown man. She's sitting right there, and he says, "Because I didn't want to be seen with her." And he would throw he would throw rocks at her. But and, why? And, and I'm watching it, and at this point, as a human being, and I know the things that she's done at this point, but don't you, as an adult, looking back at that, and you're saying it again, at least look over at her, make eye contact, and say. I was an asshole. Yeah. That bothered me so bad because it's like the guy still was just sticking with it. And it was just like, no part of you has any humility that you can look over and be like, I treated you like an animal. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm a grown man now. I'm sorry. In fairness, he may have seen the eyes bulging out. And at that point, you don't look <laughs> anywhere but down. Okay. Uh, on November 30th, 1989, uh, she goes out with a John Richard Mallory. 
uh, who's an electro electronic store owner in Clearwater. Uh, he was the first victim. Uh, was a convicted rapist who she claimed to have killed in self-defense. Um, two days later, uh, county deputy sheriff found Mallory's abandoned vehicle on December 13th. Um, his body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times. Two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. It was uh, the murder that she was con initially condemned for. Now, there's some controversy, especially on this one. Yeah, big uh, time. More so than the others. Everything else is pretty straightforward, yeah. but this one. I think the most damning piece of evidence uh, that's been discussed with this is the blood in the car mm -hmm. indicates that he was just sitting there. Yeah. This is not somebody that's got you bent over something, attacking you, uh, just the way the spatter was is the thing is, is that, that she changed her story on that. She recanted and was like, I was, I, I was just trying to get out of it. You know, I was, I was just lying to then right up toward the end be like, well, yeah, it was self-defense, but I can't say that. And it's like, so you, again, like you said, only she and the victim will ever know right. for certain. And look, I am certain that with her line of work, that if this guy didn't rape her, it had happened to her. In that line of work, I am sure that things like this had happened in the past, whether it happened with this particular one or not. Does it excuse her action of killing people? It does not. But mm -hmm. even if this story isn't true, this, is, this had to have happened to her, some variation of it. Certainly. Probably several times within her life. And I, that's, she just, her life is so pitiful. Like, this is one of the ones where I find myself, I'm not defending the murders, but at the same time, it's it's just a pitiful existence, man. Yeah. I can't help but feel bad for her. Well, and I, I think, too, again, we, we don't, there there's lots of speculation, but to me, kind of like any serial killer, there there's just not a moment where they're like, I think I'm a grown adult and I'm just going to kill today and kill for a year. So I kind of think that, like you said, maybe if the attack didn't happen the way she said it did, then it was like, I don't know. I, I was actually talking at work with somebody, and um, an angle I never thought about is the lady kept bringing up PTSD. And like this person has been, obviously she was raped by her grandfather, raped by his friend that was like an old man. Um, she willingly had sex with all these kids in school and stuff, but like she's living in the woods like an animal. Mm -hmm. uh, she's treated like an animal. Um, she, she can't even go in like and get a job like, uh, cause it's like, look at her. We don't want to hire her. Uh, no so even still. when she's trying, she's thrown right back down. Yeah. So even if he, the attack didn't happen, maybe this was the trigger. Cause something, something, something this moment triggered started it one way or the other, something triggered this and she took a man's life. Mm -hmm. Uh, any thoughts on that? Grizz. It's interesting to think about uh, just that she's told the story a few different ways. Which doesn't help. Doesn't help. But what I think happened is that um, you know, I don't I don't buy the whole self-defense story, but what I do buy is that something happened, she got scared and she killed the guy. Yeah. I think that's legit. I think that he was doing something shitty. I don't think she just killed him for no reason. I don't think, you know, that's... What and who knows of what he was saying and how he... Because we all know the temper that she had. You can see that yeah. evidenced everywhere. And maybe he just said was talking some wrong shit to her too and pissed her off. Sure. I, I have no doubts that the guy was a piece of shit. You know? Sure. Well, the world is Yeah, what was he convicted of again? Rape, yeah. 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 Did, didn't he so, also like sexual like I mean there was rape, but then he also like 
like battery and and other things with the with the the rape crimes, so. which makes me want to believe her story. Which makes her story make sense. The guy's got a history. She wouldn't have known that, right? Yeah. So, do I think it happened? Like the the full the original the full safe self defense story that she gives? Probably not. But do I think that he did or said something shitty, for, which scared her? Um, and as someone who's in, in control of her life the way that she thinks she is, she doesn't like to be scared. She reacts and kills the guy. And I don't know that many people lost any sleep over it, but at the same time, um, she did kill a guy. Yeah. I, I, one thing I think is interesting is, uh, with this, she demanded he take his clothes off mm -hmm. and he would not, right. He wanted to stay clothed. And so, uh, my initial thought with that is she wants the car. It's kind of hard for you to deal with this if you're butt-ass naked out here in the middle of nowhere. Right. I'm going to roll off with your car. He won't do it. But I, I think really at the core of it is that she, and we really haven't touched on this, but she had a incredible temper. Oh, yeah. Uh, just flip like that. I mean, yep. it didn't take like anything. Irrational, crazy temper, nuts though. temper. Yeah. And so I would imagine what you guys are saying is correct. Something scared her, whether yep. it was correct or not. The only thing that doesn't help her case is that we have six more after that. Yeah. And so the only argument to be made for this is that it opened up a door where it became easier. Yeah. That's it. Because after this, she's a killer. Yep. There's no way around it. She would, she was, this wasn't self-defense seven times. So maybe this first one did. But like I said, the only thing that makes me pause is, is the blood. Yeah. That is not somebody that's attacking you. Mm -hmm. And so he may have done something that scared her yeah. and she unloaded on him. But yeah. Um, so we'll go through real quick the, the other victims. David Spears, age 43, a construction worker in Winter Garden on June 1st, 1990. So we swing around a half a year. Uh, his naked body was found along Florida State Road 19 in Citrus County. He had been shot six times. Uh, Charles Carscadden, I think, seven genie, uh, age 40. He uh, was killed on May 31st, 1990, a part-time rodeo worker. Um, actually, it was found a week later on June 6th. His body was found in Pasco County. He had been shot nine times with a small caliber weapon. Uh, Peter Seams, age 65, retired merchant seaman who devoted much of his time to a Christian outreach ministry. In June 1990, he left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas. On July 4th, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida. Moore and Wuornos had been seen abandoning the car, and her palm print was found on the interior door handle. His body was never found. Uh, Troy Burris, age 50, Sausage salesman. Uh, on July 31st, 1990, he was reported missing. On August 4th, his body was found in a wooded area along State Road 19 in Marion County. He had been shot twice. Bear with me. Two more. Charles Dick Humphreys, age 56, September 11th, 1990, retired U.S. Air Force major, former state child abuse investigator, and former chief of police. Uh, on September 12th, 1990, his body was found in Marion County. He was fully clothed and had been shot six times in the head and torso. His car was found in Suwannee County. And our final victim, Walter Antonio, age 62, a trucker, security guard, and police reservist. On uh, November 19th, 1990, his nearly naked body was found near a remote logging road in Dixie County. He had been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. And so there you have your list of Eileen's victims. I was watching an old 60 Minutes on the case earlier today, and they said that the police have presented this as her playing damsel in distress 
in order to get these victims. That that is what how they presented this side. It wasn't she was hooking. These guys picked her up as a hooker that she played damsel in distress in order to get access to their vehicles. That's how they presented the story. But I thought that was at least worth mentioning. Yeah. And I do think that's a huge part of it that's not talked about enough. Yeah. I don't think this was just money. I think she wanted cars to get them around. Oh, yeah. Um, so with the apprehension, we go back to the one with the body that wasn't found. On July 4th, uh, Wernos and Moore had abandoned Seam's car after they were involved in an accident. Witnesses who had seen the women driving the victims' cars provided police with their names and descriptions, resulting in a media campaign to locate them. Uh, police also found some of the victims' belongings in pawn shops and retrieved fingerprints, which you have to do in Florida. Uh, any kind of transactions at the pawn shops have to involve fingerprints. Um, these are those matching those in, found in the victims' cars. Uh, she had a criminal record in Florida, and so she was on file. No surprise there. Um, on January 9th, 1991, she was arrested on an outstanding warrant at the Last Resort, a biker bar in Volusia County. Uh, police located Moore the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Man, what a place to flee to. Um, she agreed to elicit a confession from Ornos in exchange for immunity from prosecution, and she returned with the police to Florida where she was put up in a motel. And under police guidance, she made numerous telephone calls to Eileen, pleading for help in clearing her name. Three days later, on the 16th of January, Wernos confessed to the murders. She claimed the men had tried to rape her, and she killed them in self-defense. Um, she was convicted of Mallory's murder with the help of Moore's testimony. At her, at her sentencing, psychiatrist for the defense testified that Wernos had mentally, was mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial disorder. Four days later, she was sentenced to death. She would go on to plead no contest on Moore murders to get right with God. Um, I do know that you can go to where she was apprehended. Mm. They have it marked. You can sit. They've made a whole thing out of it, which they actually use in the film. That's the same oh, spot. That's the real spot. Yeah. Um, any, any more thoughts on that or jump straight into the finish for her? I, I will certainly say that I think the defense's plea is completely plausible. She clearly was not mentally competent. In my opinion, clearly there were some problems. Was she was she well enough to know the difference between right and wrong? Yes, but she is clearly unwell. Sure. Well, um, it's interesting the way everything went down with Ty and the way that the film portrays it's very dramatic. It. Yeah. Um, they painted Ty in the movie. I don't want to jump into the movie. It's like very like innocent and like, you know, unaware of what's going on. But I feel like the big load of shit. Yeah. She was so complicit in all of this. And she knew all along she what she knew was, what was going on. I, I believe that um, in the, in the court testimony that she admits that she told her the first victim even. So yeah, oh yeah, how, did. how did she not even get arrested for uh, like an she, accessory to murder? Because she worked. Uh, with the, the police mo- the to get the deals. confession, and she was working to get a movie deal with the two police officers. So that's yeah, why the, the movie deal actually cost a lot of uh, officers their jobs uh, once that came out. So the one thing I wanted to say was, and I think what what's interesting about this case and the reason why we talk about it, what would maybe otherwise be a more forgettable case besides everything we mentioned with her being female and things like that, she sold her story in fifteen days. Yeah, 
And so if you want to talk about how media covers things and how uh, things may get glorified in ways they shouldn't get glorified, she was able to sell her story within 15 days of being arrested. Yeah. I don't even think that was convicted. I think that was just arrested. Yeah. That's and crazy. I think that once that was... Sold ex- the rights to her story. Once that was exposed, that the police officers were involved, I think that gave her <laughs> license for a lot more of her delusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because while that was true, I think she latched right onto that and, and her psychosis kind of played with that idea a lot more than probably was real. Yeah. All right. We'll finish up there. You get well, I was, I was just going to say real quick before we start talking about the movie is, um, again, I kind of feel, uh, I, it doesn't make up, um, kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't condone anything he did. But I feel like if Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, sexuality would have been, he would have been able to express it. He would have been probably Dr. Jeffrey Dahmer. If she didn't live such a horrible life, uh, her entire life, like who knows that any of this would have happened. And, and even after, uh, because whether you believe water or wrong or like definitely when you see her in interviews and in court, there is like where she's changing. If you watch the documentary, they actually keep filming when she's not aware and she's actually telling them that this did happen this way, but I can't talk about it. I want to be executed. Yeah. But then she also starts speculating about like, like, like there's a, a really big paranoia that, that she's not making up that kind of shows that she definitely has some, um, some insanity. Oh yeah. Um, but instead of trying to help her, like again, she has six death row sentences. Um, is it because she was poor and a hooker or like that she, a woman's killing men? Well, or? she got the six because she stopped fighting. She just said, it's a waste of taxpayer money. I want to get put to death. And so they just fast tracked all the rest of those convictions. And she also like, and this is again where I feel so bad for her. The one person that she had completely trusted and felt that love for completely turned on her and lied to her. And she even said in a 60 Minutes interview, because they brought it up, you know, everybody turned. She said, yeah, yeah. Why do you think I want put to death? There's nothing here for me. Yeah, she claimed to, to love Ty up until she died. Yep. Even after yep. that. Well, so, so Ty and her mother, her, her biological, her, oh. well, her biological mother, they all come out of the woodwork and they're all part of the movie deal. They're all trying to get, uh, to make this huge movie deal off of her. Everybody abandoned her. Everybody sold her out. Just like Joe Dirt's parents. <laughs> they do have some, a similar uh, haircut. I was going to say, same haircut. <laughs> um, we'll finish up here real quick on her. Uh, ten years later, her execution took place on October 9th, 2002. She died at 9.47 a.m. Uh, she declined her last meal and instead opted for a cup of coffee instead. Uh, her last words were, Todd, you want me to read it? I can, I can go in if you want. You go ahead. Okay. Uh, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock, and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie, <laughs> Big Mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be, to be executed since the 1976 Supreme Court decision restoring capital punishment. Uh, her body was cremated. Her ashes were sped beneath a tree in her native Michigan uh, by her childhood friend Dawn. Um, she requested that Natalie Merchant's song Carnival be played at her funeral. Uh, Merchant commented on this when asked why she permitted that to be played during the credits of the documentary, Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. 
She said when the director sent a working edit of the film, she was so disturbed by the subject matter that she couldn't even watch it. She said, Eileen led a tortured, tortured life that is beyond my worst nightmares. It wasn't until I was told that Eileen spent many hours listening to my album, Tiger Lily, while on death row and requested Carnival be played at her funeral, that I gave permission for the use of the song. It's very odd to think of the places my music can go once it leaves my hands. If it gave her some solace, I have to be grateful. Mm-hmm. That's a gracious way to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. That is... You almost made me cry when you read that. <laughs> I've worked on that ten times a day for the last week. I originally <laughs> sung it, wasn't Landon. Okay, so, on to the movie. Uh, now Todd is going to sing In the Arms of an Angel. <laughs> well, that song is about a dead actress and not about her animals or songs for your loved ones at funerals. Hello, I'm Sarah McLaughlin, and I'm here to fuck up your day. <laughs> All right, so uh, Monster, 2003, written and directed by Patty Jenkins, who is now the director of the Wonder Woman series. Uh, cast is Charlize Theron, which she won Best Actress for playing this. Uh, Christina Ritchie, who's playing Selby in the film, but is I, just just a pause. I, I'm assuming a lot of the name changes and stuff is uh, the fact that they all sold their movie rights two days after she was arrested. Well, I wonder if I wondered if they didn't change the, Ty's name so that they didn't have to pay her. That's anything. what I was I was getting. I think at. a lot of it is for fiction too. You don't have to True. stick to the facts. Yeah. When you got a lot of fictional characters. Uh, yeah. Also, star- starring uh, Bruce Dern. Uh, Lee, Lee Terskinson, <laughs> a disrupt out, sorry. Uh, Annie Corley, Pruitt Taylor Vince, who, by the way, I felt, I, I loved him in this movie because that guy's the creeper in every movie. He's always like the child molester. So he's stuttering John, and I actually felt very sorry for him because when I first saw the movie, I thought she was going to kill him. But it's the one that he's like, no, I don't want to hurt you, and she gives him an HGA, and <laughs> they have a good day. This is great. Um, and then also uh, worth noting is Scott Wilson and Kane Hodder, who I actually had to look up in the credits because I was like, is that Kane Hodder playing the uh, undercover yeah. cop? Uh, okay, so first time watch for Grizz. Yes, let's, it was. Let's start with your thoughts yeah. on the movie. Um, it's a good movie. I mean, it's, it's well done, well put together. It's not 100% factual, but what no. biopic is going to be, you know? And yeah. Um, Elton John's. Yeah, right. um charlie's killed it i mean just phenomenal i mean just the her transformation the way that she she nailed a lot of eileen's mannerisms and and delivery and speech and all of that so um yeah i thought it was really well done i really love bruce dern's character um, as someone who actually genuinely was nice to her and cared for, her, and, and that was cool. Didn't didn't try to do sexual things with her, exactly. Even though they were offered. Yep, exactly. Just let her live in her storage unit, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so I thought it was pretty good. Um, that scene where they meet, or not when they meet. Yeah, no, not the scene they met. The next time they got together, when they were at the skating rink, and they were skating to Journey. I have to admit, it was too cute. That's that's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> it's just too cute. I was like, boy, it's only going to go downhill from here. <laughs> I was like, I don't like this false sense of security. I feel I'm like right to now. a lot of couples like that, the high mark for the relationship usually has a journey song playing. <laughs> <laughs> so nailed it on couples that. Couples like that, yes. 
Um, one thing that we didn't bring up earlier that I wanted to say because it was uh, get off my back. <laughs> Go ahead. Just <laughs> um, they 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 did a good job in the film of uh, showing her using uh, the kid picture trick that she would use for prostitution. Oh, yeah, that was a, a big thing that she did. So she, oh look here, yeah, you know I need a lift, and oh here, look, there's pictures of my kids, and times are tough, and uh, hey, uh, I think you can help me out. I'll help you out. You help me out. Take care of my kids. Yeah. So um, that was that was one of her big prostitution tricks, yeah. and uh, made its way into the film, and and we forgot to bring it up earlier in real life. Um, yeah. So that's kind of just some of the highlights for me of the film that I thought sure. uh, portrayed her life well and and was done well. Um. So rewatch. I haven't watched it in a while. I love this movie though. Um. I think any great biopic, uh, or like anytime anybody does a true story, when, when I forget what the actual uh, person in real life looks like, and I forget that a big name star is playing them, like usually, like they deserve to win the Oscar. Um, I know that obviously, like uh, some of the the effects that they they did to her uh, to make her look more, but just her uh, portrayal. And um, I don't remember if Christina Ritchie got any kind of notice for this, but I think even the way. Uh, like like her portrayal of Selby because she was very uh, almost mousy mm-hmm. and uh, like this weird innocent, which is something Christina Ritchie really never played either. Uh, but I think her performance just helps uh, Charlene's to be even bigger than uh, than it could. Um, I will say something that I really thought about watching this movie, and I don't know. Like I said, it's been a few years since I've seen it, and uh, I take away the serial killer part, but I have I have a friend and. Like the survival mode, a lot of the same things they did. Um, this friend has actually passed away. She OD'd a few years ago, but she kind of had an effed up life and she really wasn't ashamed of the things she did. And she would talk about how she would go to, uh, she, uh, that's how I learned what a lot lizard was, is she would talk about going to truck stops and, you know, needing to make money and go from semi to semi. And she lived here. Her kids were down south. Um, she had three children. Like they were being raised by their father because, um, you know, it's weird that she OD'd, but she actually was a, an alcoholic. Um, if you didn't get her a bottle of uh, vodka or something for the day, she would drink rubbing alcohol. Um, I really loved her though. Like uh, she's someone I really rooted uh, that would get her get her shit together. But um, watching watching this movie, I, I think I even related even more. Of uh, again, not condoning anything that she did with uh, the killing. But just uh, thinking about somebody that has to, uh, you know, they've been they've been abused and and they have nothing. And she would talk about how uh, one husband they used to do crack all the time, and she'd have to prostitute. And she uh, was always proud that she took very, really good care of her teeth because her teeth never rotted out. And uh, rewatching it, just uh, Eileen and and how Charlene portrays her, I really thought of my friend, which is a little uh, bizarre to say, but yeah. Um, I feel like uh, rewatching it for this time. I definitely, uh, I don't relate to the killing, but I relate to uh, man, like just the shitty life and and you know, the sad story. Yeah, 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 yeah. As we said before, and I'll say, I mean, like it's very Dahmer esque. I mean, it's it, when I when I have my short list of serial killers who I feel sorry for before they started killing people, uh, Dahmer and Eileen Warnos are on that short list for sure. 
This is the second time I've seen this movie. The first time I saw it, it had been out on video, but it hadn't been out for very long, and I watched it, and I enjoyed it, but obviously it's not a real feel-good movie that you want to go back to revisit. <laughs> feel-good hit of the year. Uh, but I do like this movie. Uh, Charlize Theron is brilliant. Just the mannerisms that she got, just the physical transformation. Uh, I mean, obviously she had some help. The makeup people were really good. It was understated, but it was good. They really nailed the most memorable forehead in true crime history. <laughs> but they even, you could see they played with her complexion. Uh, and even though she wore a plate on her teeth, they were honestly rather understated. Oh, based on the real life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was, it obviously played it from a certain perspective because they're very graphic with that uh, initial attack. And the, the movie obviously is told from Eileen's point of view. So you don't get those glimpses of the real life uh, trailer park crazy. Just hillbilly mad. You know what I mean? You don't get a lot of glimpses into that. A little bit, but not, a, not to the degree that I think was probably a lot more present in her life. Yeah. But all in all, I think it's a very good movie. I think it was done very well. Uh, they did... I don't know. I just think it's. I think it was. It's one of the better biopics. Obviously, uh, one with a real budget that oh, wasn't yeah. tra- put out by somebody who tried to make like those Bundy movies and Dahmer movies that were Gacy slasher Bur- films. Gacy you know, whatever. yeah. Megastar. It was. It was done with. It was done with dignity. And I will say that the Charlize Theron, Christina Ricci lesbian scene sounded a lot better on paper. You uh, yeah, you know, until I saw that one of them had my hair cut from middle school. <laughs> Um, spoiler, spoiler alert, this is probably what you're really going to see if you watch two girls go at it. <laughs> but all in all, really enjoy the movie. I think it's done extremely well. I, I mean, obviously this is, this is an Oscar winning, she won, Charlize Theron won an Oscar for this movie. So obviously it's high grade. Sure. Um, I think that it is a brilliant true crime performance and a very flawed film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people get wrapped up in how great Theron is with her performance and kind of forgive the rest of what's going on here. I agree. This movie has an agenda. Its point is not to document what really happened. No. We changed the names. And my biggest problem with it, and this is the movie, because I, I can't stress enough that she is great. It is one of the better performances you will ever see where somebody has put everything they have into not only looking like a real life person, but they have went to great lengths to transform themselves into it. I mean, she gave Eileen every ounce of of respect that she could as an actress. Mm -hmm. And so I commend her for that. And the film, it's good. But since we're talking about true crime films, and if they're good true crime films, a lot of this is bullshit. Right. Um, For starters, we've made a tie a completely different person, a much daintier and prettier one. Yep. Uh, Ty in real life was not like Christina Ricci. She was also much more aware and involved. And I guess my biggest problem that I run into with this film is if one of our main purposes of it is to service her being a victim, why don't we spend time on that? Yeah, We pick up when they meet in the bar and then try and sell us on feeling sorry for her as she kills people. 
but we really don't spend much time on this horrific life she's had. Oh yeah, it's which just is a, a huge part of her story. Yeah, and so I do think it's important to point out when we're talking about the validity of the film and and it's setting out to accomplish something, it misses the mark on telling her story. Yeah. Now, it picks up from where everybody's interested. But to me, kind of the point of making a picture about her is let's explore that. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go out in the car with her seven times and and see every detail of that if we're not going to tell the other part. So that that's really my only hang-up with it. It doesn't matter overall because this is worth watching for her. You get to watch Eileen Wernos on, on film. Mm-hmm. She nails it. I mean, I have zero complaint with her performance. And a lot of times when actors put on weight or lose a bunch of weight and they do this and that and they go live some somewhere and immerse themselves in a culture. It's very self-absorbed mm-hmm. and unnecessary. But with this, I thought, man, she is all in and it it translates on screen. And so I don't I don't want to poo-poo the movie because this is worth everyone watching, whether you're interested in the case or not. It's very simple. Get on YouTube, watch five minutes of her in an interview, then watch the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth watching for the performance totally. alone. But I do want to point that out, and I know that that's not going to be popular with some some listeners because they get swept up in the emotion of the kind of two sides of the coin with her. But the reality is, is she was a killer, and she had a horrible life leading up to that, but so do a ton of other people that don't do things like this. And mm-hmm. so that doesn't excuse it. And I'm not saying anybody here said that, but that's my problem with the film is if we're going to go into that territory of purpose, let's do it re- like responsibly. Mm-hmm. And there's much more to her story that if we're interested in understanding, uh, potentially a blame, let's look at it. Yeah. Don't try and make me feel sorry for her with fictional romance you know, it's just that stuff doesn't land with me. But I just think she's top shelf. It's one of the best performances, not even for true crime, just acting. Yeah. So that's kind of my take on the film. No, I think those are all valid, very valid points. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wondered even when watching it um, how, you know, it was like her background and her growing up was all just like cut scenes. A montage. Yeah. A montage she in the narrates. credits. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, a lot of way. a lot of things too left out that again, like he he touched on that if you know, I mean, you're wanting everyone to feel sorry for, her, but you don't mention that there's a, a sexual relationship with her brother and mm-hmm. uh, you know how she was treated as a child. And do you think that some of that was intentional to try to because of the the angle that the movie was presented in to uh, save her leg her memory? From a, a little bit of degradation and and uh, embarrassment. My my uh, interpretation. I think it was agenda. Yeah, I think they just wanted to focus on making these guys potentially attacking her in the car, and it just felt overt. Like without things that we know for facts, I that's what bothered me about it is we spend time victim blaming potentially, and maybe they were, uh, and I'm, we don't know, but we spend time going out of our way to paint that picture, mm-hmm. but we don't paint what we know, right. which is all of this horrible shit that happened to her. And so if, we're, if the point of the, the movie is for us to learn about her and how she became a monster, let's look at it. And that's, that's always been my problem with this. Is, oh. It's... I'll bet if we let Rob Zombie remake it, <laughs> there'll be a 45-minute childhood backstory. I, uh, 
I look at uh, especially the uh, the the murders. I, I look at it as no one really knows for sure. I look at each murder as not exactly like what happened. I feel like the film interpretates uh, from what she says to what what the other people say. So that's why the one victim is a priest and he is wanting to generally go get her help and get her children help because that's the story she tells uh, to the last guy when she looks in his wallet and sees a picture of his wife in a wheelchair. And um, so it goes from like the extreme of the, the one guy attacking her to like the last victim just being like, I just wanted to come out here cause my wife's in a wheelchair and he just wanted something he can't get from her. And I feel like uh, the one extreme to the other was like their interpretation of no one really knows exactly what happened. And, and I think that's how I take it as they did it. But yeah, I can see everything that you said too. Um, on a lighter note, I laughed out loud when she pushed that old man in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and I got really excited when Kane Hodder was at the biker bar. Yes. <laughs> That's the end of my notes. Yeah, when he's apprehending her out front, I thought, man, he's strong. Dude's ripped up there. <laughs> he also popped part of your neck, Grizz. <laughs> he did. He did. My throat was sore for weeks. Thank you, Kane Hodder. Um... <laughs> Yeah, in the the cinematic way they set up uh, Selby, you know, selling her out was just a total lady in red, John Dillinger kind of yeah. thing moment. Like, I, I mean, don't know that it was that dramatic, right? She really did sell her out, though. She did. Oh yeah, including the uh, the phone call to uh, to try to get the confession. Mm-hmm. What? Where's the money? What money? <laughs> what money? Show me the money. <laughs> And then that's a good part of that movie where uh, Eileen, Charlize Theron, says, uh, you see it click on the phone call. She knows she's getting sold out by her. Yeah. She she can tell. She's like, oh, all right. That that scene is, I think, rather effective. Which I mean, she couldn't couldn't get the impression she was being used by... uh, Hey, you need to go hook because you know I need to eat. I told you I'm hungry. And you don't give a shit because I can't work. You need to go sell your body because yeah. I won't work. <laughs> kind of a red flag. Yeah, kind of a red flag. Any other thoughts we want to share about the film Monster? No, I think it's good though. Everybody should check it out. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend yeah, it's the movie. Watching. Absolutely, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I recommend people watch I've it. watched it once a week for the last sixteen years. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely. Uh, re- it's a. Uh, I think it's a movie that's so good. It's hard to rewatch all yeah. the time because it's. I'm sure in a you're few not. Years you're not I'm watching. Watch it again. You're not watching Happy Story. Kind of like the color purple. It's yeah. not like you know. I feel good. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna watch Precious today. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, another stimulating discussion about true crime, and um, why that feel sarcastic. <laughs> well, <laughs> present company. Um, I don't know. I enjoy doing these episodes. Um, I don't know. It, it, we get a glimpse in some of the, the human stories that influence uh, some of the other movies that we talk about. Definitely. And uh, it's just interesting that we're all into true crime, but we're not a true crime podcast. But th- this offers us an opportunity to, to find films based on some of these stories and talk about them. And and just explore human nature, because I think that's the reality of a lot of things that we talk about, especially when it comes to horror films. Uh, you know, as as speaking for myself, as someone who's a pastor, a lot of people ask me, 
why do you watch all these scary movies? Why do you watch all this violence and gore? And, and the simple answer is, is I think they're better glimpses at the human experience and what our true fears are and things like that, um, that are safer ways to access than reading the horrors of real life in these true crime stories. Yeah. And so I think it all ties together very nicely. And, and it's I mean, a nice opportunity for us to step into reality. Yes. We talk about fiction every yeah. single time. So right. this is nice to do that as well. And it's, it's nice to be able to do it around a table with of, of three of my friends that I all, I consider all pretty relatively well adjusted. Yes. <laughs> you know, <it's> not, <laughs> you know because we see those people at the cons that are way too into serial killers. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. not cool. Uh, my father described these as people who haven't lived through some shit yet. Yeah. They think it's cute to wear shirts of killers or victims and other things. That they- I, I, I always just wonder how you would feel if, if you walked in uh, wearing a t-shirt and somebody's like, cool, they killed my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yep. or, you know, like, uh, and, and I, I don't judge too harshly, but a lot of the cons yeah. we go to, I see a lot of Jim Jones Kool-Aid bags, you know, like. Teach their own. Yeah, I'm like, he's uh, so bad that like, it's a buried secret that he's from our hometown. So, I mean. Yeah. Like, oh, you opted for that one. I saw that the option B t-shirt was where they're squirting cyanide into the infant's mouth. But, you know, you can go with that one. <laughs> yeah, drink the Kool-Aid. You know, just just keep the, the misconception alive. But uh, I, I know for me, uh, and I, I think we touched on it a little bit too, because I think sometimes people think it's not a fascination with the serial killer. It's just like, why? Why did this happen? Why did they do it? And. I think that's why I like uh, doing the, the the movies too, even if they're they're very Hollywoodized and uh, and not quite the case. You still get a lot of angles you're not going to get from reading a news story on uh, like you know all the stuff about Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't remember as a kid them talking about his childhood. Um, and again, it's not it's not excusable for the crimes they do, but to me, it's like why did this person choose to kill? 30 people when someone else with a shitty, shittier life, you know, they just suck it up and, and go to work every day. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, to me, that's the interesting thing. And then it's always the, the victims too. Um, I think a lot of times the victims get really buried in, yeah. in a lot of these stories. I like detective work. I like learning how they get caught. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always very fascinating. Good times. All right. Well, Signing off one more time for the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Admiral, joined by my buds, Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Stay scary. See you June 6th.